1: Welcome to the Hockey cast. My name is Dmitri Felpovich and sitting across from me is my good buddy Justin Bourne. Justin, what's going on, man?
0: Uh, this is, We're in person. This is fantastic. What oh, a pleasant it's, change.
1: It's so much better than the Skype. I, I Being here in Toronto, that's one of my favorite parts is there's so many cool people to talk to and so many, especially when it comes to the, the hockey grind and we're just sitting here in your living room. Holding these uh these fancy handheld mics, and we're gonna talk for I don't know forty minutes, forty five an hour, yeah, whatever. Okay. We'll see how it goes. Whatever,
0: man. I'm actually fascinated by the concept you mentioned to me earlier. The the phrase the car wash, and mm. you're just up here talking to to everyone who, who will talk to you, really.
1: Oh man, I'm taking I'm I'm <laughs> I'm milking it. I I came here last week. I've done the Steve Dangle podcast. I was on puck talks with you and Chris Johnston. Um, I've had a few podcasts of my own. I was on TV. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing everything. I this mean, is it,
0: man. This is the Blitz. Well, really, it comes down to it. If it's this important for your career and it's going this well, when are you joining us in Toronto?
1: Um, soon. I think next season I'll be here. You're so, going to do it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I think fantastic. so. I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm reporting it. Breaking news. <laughs>
0: I've got a room to rent if you'd like to join me. It's very expensive <laughs> here.
1: <laughs> um, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk off air. Um, so let's, let's set some ground rules here. Um, you and I had an adult beverage before we started, started recording. That's fair. And we did a little sort of, what what do we want to talk about? What what do we want to get into? And there's a couple topics that I've covered so much on the show and every other platform I've been on and it's who are the Leafs better off playing the lightning or the Bruins and you know, what's going on with the MVP race. Should it actually be most outstanding player? Is it Connor McDavid? Is it, is it, uh, Nathan McKinnon? And we're not going to get into those. You know, if we naturally kind of broach the subject, we'll try to kind of finesse around it, but we're not <laughs> going to devote any uh, substantial amount of time on this particular show to that. We're going to try to fill, this, fill these airwaves with some other new innovative stuff. And, you know, I did a podcast with Chris Johnson yesterday, and we were fortunate enough to have the sort of breaking news of the Sedins, so that kind of gave us something to talk about. And the other topic I really wanted to get into was Brad Marchand. And I decided to, I told Chris, Chris, I value your opinion, but unfortunately, for the sake of content, uh, we're going to have to stay away from this because I want to talk about this with Justin since I knew we were recording. And, you know, as a former player, you can sort of speak to this more. And I'm just fascinated by this idea because of his career arc as a whole, um, you know, if you look back to like even 2011, when the Bruins were in the Stanley Cup final or 2013, he was like a valuable contributor on that team, but he was always kind of profiled more as a third line grinder pest type that would just irritate you and draw penalties and always muck it up and score the occasional goal, which is what made him even more effective, but he would never necessarily be a foundational superstar type of player. And now we look at him. I mean, you know, he's either second or third in points per game over the past couple of years. He's second or third in goals per game over the past three or four. Like it's any way you slice it. He's been one of the most effective offensive producers in the league and yet he allows it and he forces us to whenever we talk about Brad Marchand there's always he's still up to his old shenanigans and i think it's kind of just it's frustrating um just from the perspective of like instead of appreciating the skill and what he's capable of we have to talk about all these other shenanigans and whether he should be suspended or what should be how the league should take action and i don't know like i understand there's a fine line between uh, getting yourself going, and you have to play a you know you have to you have to play a certain way to be effective. But he's sort of transcended that. I feel like, yet he keeps stooping lower to these levels. And I'm not I'm not trying to act holier than thou or judge right, him by yeah, any means. Yeah. It just I don't know. Like, is this
0: necessary for him to be effective? No, and that's you know, it's almost like he can't turn it off. Like, you know, I think back to some of the guys I played with. Um, I, I I played with Michael Haley, who plays uh, for Florida mm-hmm. right now. And you could see in practice and in games, like, he's a skilled guy. Like, he's got some nice hands. I think his first goal in the NHL was a real beauty against uh, the Islanders. Uh, I forget who it was. Anyway, but, um, you know, he can play. And at the same time, he can't play at a level where he's in the NHL if he doesn't punch guys in the face. So that's sort of the prerequisite. Yes, you're good enough to to play when you're not punching guys, but also we need you to punch guys. Marshawn kind of was that early on, minus the actual physical fighting, but right. he antagonized and he drew penalties and, um, you know, he, he could play, but he also brought another uh, value, some value add to his game. But you're right, we're at the point now, and not recently, like we've been at the point for a while, where this guy is so clearly a superstar. He's a superstar and it's like it's just unbelievable to me that he can't turn this off. That you know, the the lunge, the the one he got suspended for this year, that I think
1: the Marcus Johansson, yeah, yeah, He just like stuck on his elbow and just yeah. dove at him. Like it's yeah.
0: almost like he has this like psychopathic yeah. criminal urge. Like it's <laughs> like that was so unnecessary on a play. He's just going to the net to make a play and you wonder what sort of chip this guy has on his shoulder. How upset is he about the size of his nose that he has to continue being violent? How much was he bullied?
1: Or the champions tattoo he has. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a tough one.
0: What, he has an A in champions?
1: Yeah. No, he does Yeah. After they beat the Canucks in 2011, he got a tattoo on, I don't know if it's on his ribs or it's somewhere on his torso. Back. He probably
0: a... wrote it out and said, here's how you, yeah. here's it's, what I It's want. with an
1: A, yeah. I don't know if he's gotten it fixed yet or not, but, but that's pretty, sad. I hope not.
0: But yeah, like, he, like, how badly was this guy bullied that, mm. uh, you know, he can't seem to let this urge go? Um, and not to mention just not hurting people and being above it, like... Yeah. Why doesn't he want to be done with it? Like he's talk he has to talk about it in the media, he has to pay fines, he has to, you know, sit out games. I I just it's really surprising that he just can't let this go.
1: Yeah, it's remarkable to me because I really like I mentioned, I I I didn't see this coming and now when you watch him play, I mean He's just, he's so, he has so much puck skill and especially around the net, like in tight spaces. And he's just like effortlessly roofing it when he's like right there in front of the goalie. And, and he just, just like, has
0: no fear. Like, he's you know, like, he takes it a... across the crease and he's
1: incredible. I, I, I don't know what the total is right now, but like, you know, I think like the idea of game winning goals is overrated. But like, if you look at his just OT record this year, like he's won like five or six or whatever yeah. games just for them single handedly with these just amazing yeah. acts of uh, dominance and brilliance with the puck. And, then you have to just get into this topic of like, why is he lunging at guys with his elbow? <laughs> yeah. Why is he cross checking someone who's on the ground right in the face? Why yeah. is why is any of this happening? And I don't know, like, you know, when it, when this happened, when the league levied the fine of five thousand dollars, which I understand is the maximum that they can do under the current CBA, which is pathetic. Which is pathetic. And I understand if you're going to find him, there's only so much you can do because it's been agreed upon in the constitution. But you know, a that's for a guy who's made as much money as he has and already lost as much money in fines as he has, that's clearly not going to do anything to stop him. And the other thing is just like, I just, you know, it's a topic that we've all gone on over and over again. And I understand the league is in a tough spot because some of this stuff is so subjective and there's so many factors to consider, but it really does feel like whenever the league is involved here in these fines or suspensions, it's pretty much never not like it's never enough. Just yeah. because the whole point of the suspension is in theory to reprimand the person to the point where he will be corrected and stop doing so. And we we rarely ever see that actually happen.
0: Yeah, there was a there's a phase there, you know, the, the Shannaban era where they really ratcheted things up. You know, it used to be guys would get one, two, three games for the most violent acts and then you know, we saw a couple twenty-game and twenty-five game suspensions and Uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that I think suspensions are down. I, you know, that's, Mm. I haven't actually looked at the numbers, but I'm pretty sure um, that there's a lot less uh, suspensions. And and we're not talking about these moments as often as we used to. There were a couple of years there. It was the the heart of the discussion almost every day, but you're right. It's not enough to be a deterrent for someone like Brad Marchand who's made as much money as, as he has. It's just, again, as we said, it's unfortunate. We even have to talk about money being the deterrent. Like that's, you know, Go you know, lead the league in points and not hurt people. Is that not good enough? But yeah, it's definitely not enough for him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just go be really good at your job yeah, and man. don't try to assault people.
0: And it's not even like he's playing on the edge. Like you talk about playing on the edge and it's like, oh well, right. you know, you run at a guy really hard and it's like ah his shoulder came up a little or maybe he left his feet a little bit. Like he's going out of his way to take cheap shots at guys. I, I I'm a big fan of the guy as a as a player. Um, but it's tough to respect some of the stuff he does outside of the actual hockey game.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of like like comparisons here or like from the past. I mean, I know that um people often get on Evgeny Malkin, for example, of like a guy who's incredibly skilled, but he has these just instances where it's, he seems to lose his mind and he just does something that's kind of over the top. I One of mine growing up was Shane Doan and I never really understood why people, see, like it just seemed like, Media loved him. So it's like whenever he would do something... Dirty and very borderline. Everyone would be like, Oh, Shane Dillon just loves the game. He just He's so intense. And What's it's like, no, that was dirty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's like the last guy. Well, for one, he's like your prototypical Oshucks Canadian, yeah. like, you know, tuck your thumbs They don't in they don't make they don't make
1: men like him no, anymore.
0: That's like, you know, that's how hockey used to be played. Yep. And I think a lot of media, um, you know, who would be older would sort of uh, connect with that era and that style of play. So I think that's part of it. The Oshucks uh, you know, humbleness uh, it was endless with that guy, um, you know, to the point where you wonder if he's smart. I don't mm. know, <laughs> just the gosh darn it. However, yeah. um, yeah, there there definitely was was a time there where Shane Doan, you know, he'd cross the line periodically, and then the media sort of went out of their way to be like, ah, it looked all right to me. Um, I, part of that to me is just the game changing. You know, you sort of, I think when you came into media was around the time the game was starting to, to move away from that, uh, you know, violence is awesome. Uh, and it's been sort of a rocky transition, I think for a lot of media members who, um, missed that and knew that and are worried that the current game is not one that they're going to know as well. Um, so I I think part of it is, is, I think the landscape of hockey has changed drastically over the past six, seven years.
1: So obviously this doesn't necessarily apply to Marshallin because of you know the on-ice value he actually brings and how good he is and how much he moves the needle for the Bruins offensively but you know when you see something like just spinning just talking on the subject of you know physical violence and um aggression and playing on the edge and sort of the punishments involved with the with the with the discipline like, you know, I remember earlier in the year when Zach Rinaldo um, went after, uh, it, was, it was Samuel Gerrard, I believe he went after, and this topic came up of like, how much of that at this point is on the player versus how much of that is on the team. Like when you're, when you have a guy like that in the lineup that has the track record, like, you know, the team rarely ever gets punished or fined or loses a draft pick or anything. And I don't know, I don't know what the right answer is, but it seems like there's definitely a lack of accountability for like, if, if you know exactly who a type of player is and what he's out there to do and you allow it to happen, you put him in the lineup, like you can't plead ignorance and you can't be like, Oh, I I can't believe he had this act of temporary insanity. It's like, no, he's made a career out of doing this sort of thing.
0: Yeah. I know. I, you know, I've, I've talked to some people at the NHL and there's sort of three or four people who they know on any given night, you know, Radko Gudis, you've lost the benefit of the doubt, you know, that, that sort of thing. I think, there was an an era here where uh, the the type of player who would commit those sort of acts was uh, a thug and not a hockey player. Yep. And, you know, they're sitting on the bench and they're playing seven minutes and then they go out and they do their violent thing and then they get suspended and, and we all move on. Um, those guys, obviously, you'd like to see teams face some, some punishment for having in their lineup because it's clear, yep. you know, the guy hasn't scored a point, he hasn't done anything, whatever. You know, when you have guys that... You know, the punishment to those teams at the time was that when you put those guys out, you were getting filled in. Yes. You know, you're playing. You're not going to be winning the hockey game. Yeah, You've wasted a roster spot. That's your punishment. You know, now it's a matter of dealing with the guys who can play and still do that stuff because it's really hard to say, you know, Marchand would easily fit the bill as one of these repeat offenders, um, but he can play. And, you know, I think to Alex Burroughs back when he was good, yep. uh, you know, I could play, yep. but he did a lot of dumb shit. Yep. And I don't know if I can swear on this podcast. I apologize for that. If you can, we'll, we'll edit it out. <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, he did a lot of dumb stuff. So, um, you know, those, those guys, are the, it's tough to find the team when they're saying, look, we're hiring a 30 goal scorer or, a, you know, contributor, but he still does this dumb stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I... So... I'm all for kind of progressive, outside the box, innovative ideas to better the product and change the game or even if nothing actually comes of it, just thinking of ideas and just kind of you and I sitting right here in your living room just bouncing ideas back and forth. And I know I was reading Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts either last week or the week before and he had this section of sort of I forget who it was, but they were raising the question of like healthy
0: scratches and
1: sort of this idea. Of, awesome, awesome of,
0: idea! Flesh that out for people who haven't heard that.
1: Well, so basically the gist of it, like I'm paraphrasing, was you know why are you pay- you're paying this guy to just sit in your press box? Why can't we just if you're he's on your roster and you're paying his salary, like you sort of have the like a more like, like so- a baseball team, yeah, or like a soccer style like substitution system where like he can be on your bench and you can play him, but as soon as you take him out, take him out of the game or whatever. You can't reuse them and I don't know. I I think basically
0: you have three injuries, you call your guy down from the press box and say, Hey, suit up. You know, we're paying you anyway. It's come play for the team. Yeah.
1: So now I wonder if that would ultimately be like a net positive. Like would teams be using that for bettering their lineup or would they if you gave teams three extra Oh, just spots to have some meathead up there would it, would there it be some win. guy in case the game just gets completely out of hand? Like I, I know that the game has progressed and sort of gotten a lot of that out of it, but if you gave teams three more guys who didn't necessarily have to play, um, because most teams like have someone whether it's in the AHL or what, like on their in their organization that could fill that type of role still.
0: Yeah, you, you would you would have to have it set so there would be some severe punishment to the team. Like if you call a guy out of the press box and he gets in a fight, all he does is just fight. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you're, you know, your team, you know, whatever the fine is, or maybe you lose the ability, uh, lose a substitution or that guy can't be substituted ever again. Mm. Or, you know, some sort of preventative policy there. Cause you know, I think it's a really neat idea. Uh, you know, let's say your team's up three, nothing. And you've got, you know, two good defensemen sitting in the press box and offensive players on your team, you say, all right, we're going to tag these guys in, tag out our offensive players and sit in this lead or uh, vice versa, we're down three, uh, you know, call up Kapan and Levo, whoever out of the press box We're taken out a couple of, you know, whoever you figure, you're, yep. you know, Komarov and Placanic or whatever. Yep. So I, I think it's a terrific idea. And uh, I think it also would be great for fans. Mm-hmm. Like you could, you know, it's like WWF, like, is that, you know, is that Josh Levo's music? Good God. That's Martin, <laughs> Martin Matt Martin's music. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it'd be great. I yeah. enjoy
1: that. Yeah. I mean, just from like a hockey nerd perspective of like the X's and O's and strategy and stuff like that, it would provide so many different options. You're right. If you're sitting on a lead or if you need to desperately score a couple goals, um, I'm all for it. I don't know. I I, I love stuff like that. I think hockey, um, it's getting better and it's getting more progressive. And if you look back where we were ten years ago or whatever, it's gotten much better. But if you look kind of look around around other sports, it's still, yeah, lacking a little bit. And I'm all I'm all for even if we don't execute any of the ideas. Just the fact that we're having a discussion is probably a net positive.
0: You know, I. You know, I don't necessarily feel comfortable going into their exact details, but mm. uh, Sheldon Keith and Kyle Dubas, you know, they're both progressive thinkers, and there's you know basically not a day go by where they didn't propose to change some of the rules, and um, you know some of the ideas, you know, you, it sounds outlandish, yeah. and then you talk about it for a bit and you go, huh. And one of those was, was no face-offs. Mm. I, you know, the, the idea of just completely eliminating face-offs and, you know, almost soccer style, you know, you would have to, when puck was at a play and yeah. you know, there, there would have to be some exceptions, but just, you know, you can't freeze the pucker. It's a penalty. You know, we're not, they, they, the real details of it, it takes some going into, but yeah. I'm with you. I love the, the progressive ideas. And I, I think the NHL is probably the last league willing to make any of those changes.
1: <sighs> Unfortunately. Um, Okay. Let's take a quick break here. Um, our listeners are going to hear from a sponsor. You and I are going to wait a few seconds and then we're going to get back into a discussion. We're gonna, I, I, I solicited some uh, some questions from our Twitter followers and uh, we've got some good stuff coming in. So we're going to get into that. Sounds good. It's a pretty damn good time to be a sports fan right now. Uh, the Masters are here. Baseball season just started and business is obviously about to pick up in both the NBA and NHL with the playoffs just around the corner. So... Regardless of your taste and interests, there's a little bit of some there for everyone to indulge in, and if you've been waiting for whatever reason to kind of take the leap and go check out some of this stuff in person and enjoy the uh, the live atmosphere experience, uh, now is, it seems like the perfect time to do so. And if you're gonna do it, um, I can't recommend Seek Geek enough. Um, essentially, I know right now it can be kind of overwhelming uh, trying to figure out what you want to go see, how to make it work. Um, And SeatGeek is going to make that process as easy on you and your wallet as humanly possible. Uh, And I'm not saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. I'm saying that because I've actually used their services myself countless times and have always come away from it feeling good about what just went down. Uh, Just the other day, I went to go watch a Blue Jays game. They played the Yankees in their opening weekend series. And I got to see Justin Smoke hit a grand slam in the bottom of the eighth to send everyone home happy. And yeah, it was a good time. I mean... Honestly, here's the, how the entire process went. I opened up the Seeky cap on my phone. I clicked on the game I wanted to go to see, which was that game on the Sunday afternoon. Um, and they just handled the rest. They showed me everything that was available, sorted it by price and best value based on where the seats were. And I just picked whatever um, was in my price range and what I was looking for. And I was going to the game. It was really that simple. And the only way it could have been any better is if I was in your shoes because as a listener of the PDO cast, SeatGeek is going to be hooking you up with $20 off your first ticket purchase. To go claim that and be headed to the game yourself, just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first, first ticket purchase. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay, so here's a good one. Um, it is from Jim Capscup. Um and he is asking, who's the most underrated coach in the league right now? And, you know, he mentions John Tortorella and, and Mike Sullivan. I'm not sure I'd go with either of, of those two for different reasons. But I think the reason why I brought that up as an interesting question is I want to get into it with you in terms of, you know, with your past having worked for a team and, and being uh, a video coach. Is that, is that a fair? Yeah. Um, and I know you wrote recently about, sort of how a coach um can sort of prepare his team and his players for for the playoffs. And I'm always fascinated by what the actual um job description of a coach is in the NHL because you know you often hear about Mike Babcock he even will say himself that what he views as the most important part of the job is keeping guys motivated or ready to go and ready to play at all times. And then obviously you have the idea of strategic adjustments or X's and O's and I'm sure all of that goes into it, into some sort of a recipe. But when you th- look at the coaches in the league, what are you like? What do you, how do you evaluate them and what do you value from seeing? Like, how, if you see a team playing a certain way, are you like, oh, like that coach seems to be real and doing a really good job? And is it something we can even fairly do? Because a lot of it seems to happen behind the scenes.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, the honest answer and not the one that makes for the best answer on a podcast is that I don't think we can fairly evaluate coaches, uh, which is really too bad. Um, the the only, there are exceptions. And to me, it's, it's like most things on the extreme ends. You can usually have a pretty good idea that the guy is doing a bad job or a good job in the middle, you know, in sort of the middle 15 teams or 20 teams, it's really tough to say, you know, what's going on behind the scenes or how, how well they're doing. But, you know, you and I talked a little bit at the, uh, at the pub here before we did the show about, uh, we should have, we should have just recorded that. I we really like that was should. part of the best part. <laughs> really just natural and free flowing. Yes. Um, you know, the Islanders are, uh, we can unequivocally say that they're not being well coached right now. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm an Islanders guy and I, you know, Doug waits at a great guy and blah, blah, blah. But yep. I mean, it's a, it's a train wreck. There's there's no structure. They're giving up, you know, they're scoring at the same rate as some of the best offensive teams in the league and they're just getting filled in. And yep. uh, they give up so many chances against, so many goals against, and I don't care if, you know, your personnel is not perfect, you know, Mike Babcock would beat those guys into powder before he would let them play like that. Yep. And You know, Mike's one of those guys that I think he does a good job. You know, you can confidently say that Nazem Khadri became a better defensive forward when he came around. You can say 100% in my mind that Mitch Marner has become an effective player on the defensive side of the puck since, you know, know, being under Babcock for a while. So to me, at the extremes, I think we can have a pretty clear picture of uh, of who's doing a good job. It's tough to say in the middle.
1: Yeah, I feel like we're all so much worse off for... the Islanders promoting Doug Wade to head coach and the reason why I say it, I mean obviously I mean I miss Jack Capuano's
0: mullet first and foremost I mean that was a thing. The hair in the accent combo so Jack was my uh AHL coach yep and he sent me down to uh the ECHL and once you have, like have like a Tim Horton story or something yeah right? yeah we were, we were the bus had pulled over and um I was going to play in the ECHL all-star game and I was behind line and Jack er, behind Jack in line and we had been on the bus. The game had been over forever. Like we were almost where we were going. And he like saw me and remembered. And he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. Born you're, uh, you're, you're, going down <laughs> just like casually. Like, and then he like ordered his dangle and I was like, okay, like, is there, is there like a car coming to get me? What's, what's the next step here? But anyway, uh, yes, uh, carry on with your missing cap on.
1: Okay. So I meant, well, I just, I miss seeing him behind the bench. Just, I'm not even talking about his coaching expertise. Just, I miss the right. air, but I, I also really enjoyed. uh you know, last year early on and the year before, you'd, every time the camera would pan over to the Islanders bench, you'd see Doug Wade and he'd be kind of just like lurking in the background. He'd have like the earpiece in because he was obviously, um, for all the video reviews and stuff, yeah. he, was the, he was the sort of um, middleman between, between yeah. everything that was happening. And he he'd always look like, like a very important security guard or bodyguard <laughs> yeah. or something. He was always just kind of like lurking in the background. Um, but the, the point I brought up to you was it reminds me of the Patrick Wall abs from the perspective of, you know, everyone would always point to their blue line and they'd go, well, what's he supposed to do look at the players he has and you know of course there's only so much you can do with your with the personnel that your gm gives you but at the same time i think there's a certain level of a baseline level of competence we can expect just in terms of like you can tell that there's a certain preparation level involved and it's like guys know what to do guys know where to be guys are getting back in transition like it's stuff like that where i don't think the islanders have a great blue line by any means but i don't think it's to the point where they should be giving they, up like four have goals a game. Some guys like you can I don't play. You know? Like yeah, and, and they're forwards, and and, and th- that's why I bring it up because the forwards too. And I, I think it's really tough to evaluate uh, the defensive abilities of forwards in particular. I still believe that the best defensive forwards are the ones who constantly just have the puck in the other team's offensive zone because then they don't even have to play defense, that's, right? Yeah. But like some of these guys, it's like they're it's sagging so far back, and you're just allowing the other team to just walk right into great scoring chances, and you're like, that's not being
0: bad at defense that's just not doing your due diligence i've I've always said if you are a good offensive player like if you can anticipate the play enough to be ahead of it to score goals you should be a good defensive player if you're able to read the game that well and your focus is on offense a coach should be able to to drill that into your mind that you're thinking like that but in reverse Mm. you know like it should really be a sort of a transferable skill to me that if you can play offense you can play defense uh one question i'll uh i'll give to you oh there Matt, we go I've, I'm had, I've had this debate before with a, a couple of people is how many wins and losses you think a coach can swing a team so you hand the same roster and all 30 coaches coach it this year 31 coaches coach it uh what how many wins and losses could could a coach swing that team
1: that's a good question um i don't know if there's necessarily any way to like analytically answer that. Like I, right. I don't think there's like a certain point total. I'm like, oh, it's very clear if you yeah. go from replacement level to the best coach in the league, you're gonna get this many differences in wins and losses. But when you look at this Islanders roster, I think it's a great example. I think there's with the talent on in place, like why have they been out of the playoffs for a couple of weeks now? Like I don't maybe they're not a playoff team, but like the fact that they're this far like I it just makes no sense to me with the talent in place and the scoring they've been able to um, generate that they couldn't be a bigger threat. And I think that, so whatever, whatever they're going to miss the point the playoffs yeah, by and then <laughs> add however many more points it would take to make the playoffs. I think that's our
0: answer. Yeah. I, I, I think I was talking to to Tyler Dello about it and I thought there's a handful of games throughout the course of a year. You know, I, the number in my head right now is, is four games, you know, where the roster, if it's constructed the way this coach did it for versus this coach, if, you know, he was able to motivate and, uh, you know, this coach wasn't versus get these guys in their structure and these guys in their structure. And then just the the raw decisions, who's on the power play, what formations are we using? I think a team, a coach could win four extra games mm-hmm. for a team, which there's, that means another coach could lose four extra games. Right. You know, so that means yeah. it's possible to swing a team eight games in the standings yeah. conceivably just that's, on coaching that's alone. That's huge.
1: I mean, I'm going to pull it up right now, but I'm, I imagine that would be the, difference between the owners making him in the playoffs.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> so, so I, I don't know what the number is obviously I'm just spitballing right. but I often wonder, you know, you I wondered when I was with the Marlies and our team was unfairly stacked but we won and won and won and you know, part of it was me thinking like are are we doing a really good job or are we just that unfairly stacked? And, you know, I like to just a tiny tiny bit think we did a little something good. Yes. Although I yeah, man, the Islanders are
1: eighteen points out, so maybe. Eighteen points out? They're eighteen points behind the uh the Philadelphia Flyers with the second wildcard spot right now, yeah. Oh man. That's but things have really gone off the rails here. Like for a while there they were right there with yeah. those teams and it's amazing that the Rangers are ahead of them in the standing right now, considering that at the trade deadline, the Rangers basically Terrible it's waved the
0: white flag and said like we are out nope. uh, we're, we're down <laughs> yeah. D- doug weight to me is in a situation um by the way i hate talking bad about like other hockey right. people because yeah. uh, but but it's
1: the reality what's well,
0: our job we're supposed to analyze like sure i, I don't yeah. i don't think we're
1: doing it in a malicious way we're not like doug weight is a right. crappy person and should be fired and exiled like we're Right, based on but it was
0: literally the word I was about to use was exile. <laughs> Doug Wade should be exiled the same way that Peter Chiarelli should be exiled oh, after look at the job. in broadcasting professional. Look, look at that segue. Look at that segue. <laughs> uh, the way that Chiarelli should. I think the, the two performances from those two this year, last year and a half, whatever, it's been whew, not pretty. Well, before we get to
1: Chiarelli and the Oilers, just one final point on the coaches. I know that I think every team, regardless of how good the coach is, has like a certain segment of the fans, it's going to, you know, pick nits with the uh, personnel decisions in the lineup spots and be like, Oh, why does this guy, I love this guy so much. Why is he playing him over, over my favorite prospect and all that stuff. And I think I always say, it's kind of like, you're just trying to limit the exposure or, or how bad things get, because even with Mike Babcock, who I think everyone universally agrees is one of the best coaches in the league. Like some of, I get asked, why don't you have him in your Jack Adams uh, discussion? You know, the Leafs, are having uh, a franchise record season and they've had a bunch of injuries and Matthews missed 20 games. Morgan Riley was out for a while. Like, he's done a fine job. And I agree, but I think you can't overlook the fact that I don't think they've utilized their best possible lineup for large stretches of the season. Like, it took them a long while to give Nazem Kadri the optimal line mates and stuff like that. And, you know, that's not necessarily going to sink the the Leafs, and it didn't. But I think that's sort of something
0: we need to take into account. And just, I don't know. I... I, (laughs) I know you're talking about, I, you know, I, I think Mike is an interesting guy. Um, you know, there's a lot of big personalities in, in that Toronto room mm-hmm. and, lot, you know, they have their different opinions on who should play and, and what the, the line should be and all that sort of stuff. The one thing I give Mike credit for is I think when he sees it and he, know, he realizes he's wrong, he's willing to make the change. The problem is Mike has a big ego mm-hmm. and it has to be Mike's idea. You know, if Mike decides, you know, you guys seen this Travis Dermott kid, yeah. you know, like we could have been telling him that for two years. But when he gets to that point, remember, he said it was going to be a rotation with Borgman and uh, uh, Carrick and him yeah. for a while there. And Dermott played two games and then yep. he never came out again. Mm-hmm. When When Mike decides, he decides. And I think he usually and he says this in the media you know, he'll get there. And, and I agree that it's been too long getting there often and Polak still dresses and all that, but I think Mike generally figures it out.
1: You're just tra- dropping like thinly veiled hints, like just leaving pictures of Travis Durbin on his <laughs> yeah. desk. Like,
0: I'm not saying, but yeah. yeah I don't good. know if you've <laughs> noticed this guy, but he's pretty damn good.
1: You just need to stand behind him and line at Tim Hortons and hopefully he'll, <laughs> hopefully he'll notice. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is, was there, oh, so just in terms of the coaching, um, one thing I want to talk with, to you about was... You know, in hockey, in analysis, we get into this quite a bit with quality of competition and um, how guys are utilized and how they do in those minutes. And we especially get into it with like third pairing defensemen who just crush it in their underlying numbers, you know, their possession beast, whether yeah. it was Eric Jelenault while he was on the on the New Jersey uh, Devils or whether it was Adam Clendenning for a while there. or You have, you, everyone's got their one guy sure, who yep. always like if you just purely looked at his course numbers, you go know, like, how, how is this guy not like playing more? He's one of the best guys in the league. And it's probably because the coach is massaging those minutes very carefully and putting him in a position to succeed. And um, how do we weigh guys who do really well in soft, in soft easy minutes versus guys who get completely crushed, but it's because they're sort of like taking a bullet for the team where – it's like all, you only ever come out in the defensive zone yeah. and you're playing with suboptimal players and your whole job is to just try and stay afloat. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a tough balance,
0: I think. It is. And this is probably one of the most – one of the best things that's happened uh, with the analytics community is the understanding of, of deployment of a player. Mm-hmm. And that was something in the early days of, of Corsi, you know, I very – you know, vividly remember know, like seven years ago, there being a trade at the deadline, and someone was like, "They traded a fifty-two percent Corsi player for a forty-eight percent Corsi player." Like, what? Are these idiots! Don't they pay attention? Yep. And just being like, "Oh my god, shut up!" <laughs> you know, like there there were some tough years there, and yep. I think I think now there's such an understanding of, of usage and, and how these guys go out over the boards that it's, it's been really healthy for fans and the understanding of the game. I think internally that's probably been understood for, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. You know that, yeah, this guy doesn't look great all the time and people don't think he's good, but you know, he's taken the tough minutes and in, in terms of being able to weigh one versus the other, that's really hard. You know, all, all you have is the, the small sample when the guy's out there in a situation where you don't want him out there, and, right. you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know you start a guy in the offensive zone because he 's your offensive you know nineteen year old skilled defenseman, and all of a sudden he 's in his own zone and he 's just like looks like he got pulled out of the crowd he 's so lost um, You know all you can do is sort of take those samples and say okay he doesn 't look ready to me yet um if you 're feeling you know uh, a little risque mm. you could put the players in those situations and right. find out if they can do it or not, but I think for the most part coaches safety first and they 're very conservative and and they just overvalue the small sample of when those guys accidentally get in those situations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's much easier to say stuff like experiment and give it a shot when it's not your job on the line. And yeah. I, I completely <laughs> like, I'm sympathetic to the idea. Of, I,
0: I've been like this with the Leafs though, for the, for like the last like six weeks, like mm-hmm. perfect time to experiment. Yeah. Like, see what, see what he got. See what, you know, put Roman Polak in the power play. Maybe you can do it. Pr- probably not. Hey, <laughs> you, you got to hear
1: both sides. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's, let's, let's look into some other, um, questions we've got here. We're while I'm looking, was there anything else while I had you here that we wanted to talk about? Well we were gonna disparage Shiarelli a little bit, oh, I think. There we go. Yeah you segue there nicely a couple minutes ago so let's get into that now. Um man, so what okay what prompted you today to uh to to get back into this? Because I mean I clearly I don't know. need to have my arm uh <laughs> twisted behind my back. I'll gladly talk about this all day every day but
0: uh I forget why I started talking about Was it Taylor this?
1: Hall just Having yeah, like three, four points every exactly, single night. <laughs> that's exactly,
0: that's, that's what it was. I was looking at the, uh, I was actually considering my Hart Trophy uh, ballot and, and looking at, into what Hart's, or, or what, Taylor Hart, mm. <laughs> seeing what he's done, Seats it's Freudian. Oh, there um. we go. But it, it's truly just incredible. Like, so I went, I was thinking about how bad that trade is to trade a guy who could be a Hart Trophy finalist for a fourth defenseman, like yep. a legitimate fourth defenseman, not like me being, trying to make the trade look worse. Like he's probably a fourth defenseman. Yep. Um, that, that's just that on its face, and it's not like this is hindsight. When it happened, we all said this like the, the famous line is already the trade is one for one or whatever, and everyone's mm-hmm. just like, No, come on, that, that can't be right.
1: There's got to be more to this,
0: right? And then so you got thinking about it, and last night, um, you know, a guy had two goals and one assist for the New York Islanders, uh, Matt Barzal flew by Ori Latera, scores the game winner. Like, this guy is must-see TV. His other goal might have been nicer than that one. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how we got him. It's like, oh, they traded, uh, the Oilers traded the pick for him for Griffin Reinhardt. Yep. How terrible is that? And then so I was like, uh, you know, uh, what else has he done? And just really got into it. And uh, yeah, John Tavares had uh, Eberle on his line. What did he get? 60 points? And then I looked into Ryan Strom. 30 points. Like, there's not one redeemable thing. Mm. Well, the Cam Talbot... Trade was. I
1: mean, obviously he hasn't been good yeah. this season, but like, you
0: yeah. know. Yep. So a couple of the smaller things yep. he's done, getting cash in was nice. Yep. But I mean, the moves that really affect your franchise, they're mm-hmm. not the fill-in guys. This guy, I mean, make him an area scout for some team somewhere, and don't let him have the reins ever again.
1: It's really tough. I mean, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show or or somewhere else, but like I've I've had my good fun with the Oilers and Shirley this season online and. Oh, I think Oilers fans are sort of reaching a bit of a boiling point where it's like, oh, we get it. Like, yeah, you, know, you don't have to keep bringing it up. Like, you're not adding anything new to the table. And you, uh, some of it is just it's it's an easy joke. Sometimes it sometimes needs to be made. You know, it's it's good fun. But on the other hand, like as a hockey fan, I think it's just genuinely disappointing that Connor McDavid here. You know, he's getting out of his ELC now. He's going to be making double digit millions dollars per year, which he's definitely worth. But it makes it tougher to compete and maximize that when your top
0: guys are making that type of money. And And we don't get to enjoy McDavid as much because frankly, he's not playing with the type of players that make him exciting and the games aren't worth watching because the team sucks.
1: Yeah, and and think about it this season. Like I god damn it, I knew that I didn't want to talk about MVP, but here we are. We're gonna talk about McDavid right now. And we need to bring this up because you know, you mentioned Hall and McKinnon is having a great season, and you go on and on, Kucherov, Malkin, Marchand, like there's we're in such a great time to be a hockey fan. There's so much individual talent. I think everyone universally agrees that Connor McDavid is the best player in the league right now. He is, and he's having the best season. If you just look at the numbers, he, the reason he's being disqualified is because the Oilers are not going to make the playoffs. But he's not the person that put this team together and built this team, and that's disappointing. Because instead of just appreciating the fact that he's having his second straight hundred point season, which in today's climate is very difficult to do, and the fact that he's going to finish with what, like one hundred and ten points, one hundred five, whatever, whatever it is. Like, instead of just talking about that, we're instead talking about how he's not going to make the playoffs because of his line mates and because of the rest of the team. And that's, as a hockey fan and an observer, that's the disappointing part in all this. Yeah. And that's why you and I keep bringing it up, not because it's such an easy joke and because we have a personal vendetta sure. against Peter Chiarelli.
0: Yeah, no, it's disappointing for not just Oilers fans. I yeah. mean, that, he's a McDavid's a generational talent that really isn't getting to the exposure or the ability to succeed like, like he deserves. I just, I have this image in my head of... Peter in like a cartoon image of him in like a robber's outfit, like stealing the heart, like sneaking away, <laughs> uh, you know, as McDavid looks on like empty handed, yep. like he literally t- took the award from the guy this year. Yep. I don't know if he's going to win it. I've, uh, I have really, I've read as much of people's opinion as I, as I could on, on how they think the award should be voted on. It's a pretty polarizing topic. It is. It is. And I was very polar on it as recently as three weeks ago. I was like, I don't, I don't know. Yep know not to get too into my own vote but i don't care he's the best player in the league mm-hmm. and then i've really i've I've had my mind sort of switch a little bit I, I don't know i as of this day i'm not sure what i'm going to do exactly and this is it's pathetic that i need the last two games to add to the sample size but i would sure like someone to do something absurd so what could possibly happen for you to change
1: i'm assuming you're talking about either McKinnon or Taylor Hall. Yeah,
0: you know, Hall having his team on the precipice of playoffs and McKinnon too, Mm -hmm. you know, if if Hall put up four points next game and four points the next game and they leapfrog into the next wild card spot and, you know, they get Washington instead of getting Boston and, all you know, something like that, uh, you know, could could sway me. Um, You know, this is crunch time and both teams are on the cusp, so if one of them were to do something special, meanwhile, if they both get blanked and McDavid – you know, throws up seven goals yep. and gets to 50 or, you know, whatever he's at 40, yep. you know, I, there, there's still things that could change my mind. Yeah. You know what? I, I The
1: past two uh, Devils games, I watched quite a bit of them this season. I think they've been, even early on, I was sort of saying, like, you know, this isn't this isn't your dad's New Jersey Devils team. Like they're actually like very like they're not very exciting, but they play a faster paced, uh, more open. Butcher and open. Vatten, and to me, yeah. changed
0: the team entirely yeah, for
1: sure. And and his year coming in, and yeah. you know you have, you have the talent now where they can play more of a north south game. Um, but you you know the past two games in particular against the uh, Montreal Canadiens and then against the Rangers last night. You know some of this stuff like I, in particular, the game uh, against the Canadians when they wound up winning in the third period. It was like they're killing a penalty and they're sort of hanging on for dear life and then Taylor Hall comes out of the penalty box and gets a breakaway and yeah. scores and it's like that was a great encapsulation of the New Jersey Devils season because there's been other very valuable contributors on our team but it's been a lot of like let's just hang on until Taylor Hall can do something super cool and get <laughs> us this win yeah. and it has been i mean you know you look what he has 40 something more points than Nico Hischier who's second on the team and it's just he's, de- he's definitely the guy that he's like, like physically just dragging them into yeah. the playoffs. And I don't think he's been the best player in the world this season, but the year he's had has just been so impressive. And I, I like I feel obligated to sort of commemorate it in some way. Like <laughs> and you <laughs> this know, counts. Finish, you're doing it. Finish, well, and all, finishing second or third in the heart is nothing to yeah. you know sneeze at. It doesn't demean his season by any means. But
0: the, the only thing that really kills. You know, the argument for Hall is sort of that he's the player who's furthest ahead of all of his teammates in terms of scoring and output and all that other stuff. Right. But then, like, if you lean on that, then it's like, oh, yeah, Connor McDavid's on the Oilers.
1: It's true. You know. And Connor McDavid's second, I think, Dreisaitl's second in the team in scoring. And it's still like a 30-something point gap between them. And they spent a lot of time playing together this season. So that's why Dreisaitl's numbers are so high.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of of mind-boggling. And I understand. You know, I've – we said we weren't going to do this. Oh, uh, was just we're into it. Into, we're it. into it. We're into it. We're in uh, the weeds. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the whole thing about having to make the playoffs, I, I've never – I think there's too many factors in mm-hmm. hockey, you know, that, that you can't control and all you can control is your own game. And, you know, if you get 100 points for one team or the other team, it's still 100 points and that's the value you contributed to them. So that's why I was kind of – Pro McDavid, but certainly there's there's other guys with a good case, and I really wish that the PHWA had decided to uh, make our ballots transparent next season mm. and not start on this one because it's a tough one. Well, I don't actually. By the way, I voted for transparency. Like, like yeah. One one final
1: point on this that I do find interesting is it. It seems like it is a bit hypocritical because it feels like the people who are sort of saying that you have to make the playoffs to be eligible for this award or to be seriously considered unless you're completely lapping the competition are the sort of purists or more old school types i'd say that's fair yep but at the same time those are the ones that will constantly throw back in your face that hockey is a team game and it's not like it's not like basketball our sport is a team game where you know it's camaraderie and all these guys come together to be better as a whole and it's like well yeah then if it's this is an individual award and yeah. if it's a team game, it's then there's only the so much awards. that one individual can do for this team. Yes. So if you believe that hockey is this ultimate team game where one guy can only do so much, then for this award, yeah. you sort of need to eliminate that team accomplishment and just view the individual season in isolation.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. I, and you know, it not to you know presume to know what they meant when they started the award or whatever, but I do believe that the intent ultimately is to say this guy's been the best player in the league this year. And I understand it's it's not written that way, but that's, you know, some there's some wording in the constitution people would change too. You know, it's uh, I'm not sure that was the original intent and for my purposes as a fan, I've always thought of it as that that guy had the best season in the league this year. Mm-hmm. That's that's to me, he had the best season in the league at his position um and it's impossible to say that that's not Connor McDavid this year. So, um but I'm as I said, I'm still on the fence.
1: Yes. Okay, um, let's move on from that. I do have a question here from Ben Weber, and just to make so you were you were hired by the Leafs that first year with Babcock, right?
0: Yeah, I was actually in the Leafs office, so even before I was uh, with the Leafs, as like a officially on, mm-hmm. on the staff uh, in the summers, just I had a relationship with uh, with Dubis. They had interviewed me for a job in the Sioux um and you know i knew computers so they they had me come in and help cut video of uh free agents and potential draft picks and stuff like that so um i was actually in the office uh when when the babcock thing happened it was a pretty cool moment
1: so the reason why i bring that up is because i guess that was the that first year though was like the one with like pa parento and michael grabner and the year where the leafs like were sort of like yeah so a shell company that like wasn't actually an nhl team it was just like a bunch of assets that they brought in hoping to turn them into a future asset yeah so i wasn't
0: with the Marlies that year my first year was was the year after it was the year after okay so
1: anyways um the reason why i I, I guess i brought that up because ben weber here sort of asked about you know should and can the rangers follow the leafs rebuild model um and i assume he's asking because i mean i watched that rangers game last last night against the devils i mentioned and it it's all well and good to from the outside say you know you got to acknowledge the current system and that's in place with the league and you've got to rebuild properly you got to blow it up you got to trade everything you can that's not really tied down and get as many picks as you can and acknowledge that you're going to suck for a few years but hopefully you get lucky in the lottery and you get someone that's going to come in like Austin matthews and completely turn your franchise around and you build around him but then you watch a game like that and it's like Especially with with Henrik Lundqvist there, I mean, it's like you know they're just getting peppered with chances, and he's doing everything he can to keep them afloat. But they're losing five one, and I guess you tune in to watch Neil Pionk and some of these other guys. But it's like it's, is that, it's is that a guy. It's pretty it's pretty bleak, and so it's it's very easy to tune in once every couple of weeks or whatever, or not even watch them this season, and just be like, oh, you know, yeah, just rebuild. I'll I'll come check back in when there's something to watch. But if you're actually working for the team or if you're a fan of that team. I assume it's much tougher to be invested and watch that on a nightly basis. And actually, if you're a fan, you know, buy the team's jersey, go to the yeah. games, be like, put your money where your mouth is. And if you're running that team, who knows if you're even going to be around by the time that team is ready to compete. So it's like, there is that fine balance there where I think rationally, there's no real argument against, especially like if you have a certain type of team that's in place already, you need to embrace it and you can't half ass it like the Canucks try to do for years. At the same time, though, like, it's easier said than done.
0: Well, you know, my, my thought on uh, tanking in general uh, is that it's real easy to tear it down, and it's really hard to build it back up. And, and you see te- you know, fans all often clamoring for their organization to tear it to the ground. Uh, you know, you look at Arizona and look at Buffalo. You know, they actively pursued being bad. Mm-hmm. And then they go, okay, well, we got a couple good picks, so now we're going to get good. And it's like... You know, you you don't have the pieces. You need to have some some guys around that can that can still play. And you know, particularly with the percentages of winning the lottery now, you know the the bottom, you know one or two have a you know strong chance at it. And everyone in the middle, it's kind of a murky, mudder, muddy water. Mm-hmm. What's a difference? You know, I understand a percent here, a percent there, but. I think really tanking is kind of a terrible idea. You know, I, I respect that, you know, once the Leafs realized in 15, 16 or whatever year it was there, that they weren't going to be good, that they said, all right, let's not necessarily, you know, you don't try to lose, but they called up a lot of Marley's who were undeserving of being, you know, uh, NHL players. Yep. And, um, yeah, I, I just don't think tearing it right to the ground is a great idea. I think it's a lot harder to build it back up. And I think if you can kind of make a pivot, not the way the Canucks did it, not by signing, you know sort of middle-aged middling players for a lot of money but you know we've seen teams turn franchises around without hitting rock bottom it's possible
1: it is um yeah you're right you're sort of playing the odds i think uh, i think this is a tyler Dello uh theory but this idea of like instead of fully just getting rid of everything and having to build a whole new team from scratch basically because that is so tough to do because there's just so many spots to fill like if you're gonna tank kind of Try to build a team, but just have really bad Terrible goaltending. goal-tending. Yeah. And because we often see, like, if you're just giving up a certain number of goals like you can have a good team you can be building, building something special you could be a decent possession team you could have a bright future but ultimately if you're getting buried by your goaltending yeah. you're not gonna win a lot of games
0: and, and also you can do this differently though than just saying like we call up our echl goalie yeah. and we're gonna play him for the year you can audition guys you know you can take flyers on this guy in europe or this american league guy who's had good numbers and you can just try a bunch of different goaltenders and if you find a good one well no. You know, no, tough break you no. know that's, that's and you a keep them too. or you
1: trade them or you, yeah it's a
0: it's another asset money, and, money found yeah you know, this is one thing that um you know that uh, they did with the marlies is they brought in just reams of players there's yep. no roster size limit and they just brought in after the season when guys were eligible to come to the american league they brought in a ton of guys see them in practice get them connected with the organization get to know them get them in a couple games see what you think you're not obligated to do anything but you might as well take a look yep. you know so it's You know, I think there's smarter ways to sort of go about uh, this tanking and building than there is than just trying to be terrible and then looking around going, all right, let's sign that 31-year-old, you know, (laughs) like it's, there's other ways.
1: Well, it's fascinating because I feel like the Coyotes are a great example of this because, you know, this year was the year that they kind of wanted to like i don't know competent or have a certain level of respectability and i'll be a laughing stock in the league and you know, they bring in derek stepan they bring in nicholas jammers and they bring in auntie ranta and i think everyone jason Demers, and everyone agreed that for what, they, for what they gave up it's like yeah these are competent nhl players and for what the coyotes had before they will be better and it's not even an indictment against analytics or anything those are just actual hockey moves right and it ultimately the start of the year didn't matter because auntie ranta got injured and they had louis demang and um Scott Wedgwood and all these guys who probably shouldn't be in the NHL not, having not like 880 save percentages. And so they lost a ton of games. They mm-hmm. believe they started 0-10-1. And at that point, your year is basically over. And then now you look at it and it's like, oh, they've been the hottest team in the league over the past couple of weeks. And some of that I'm sure is you know, your season's over, you're playing without any pressure. Some of it is getting a bit lucky, but ultimately it's the fact that their goalie has like a 930 save percentage and is the guy who they envision being there all year. And so now I wonder, I don't know if they're going to be this good next year, but if they still healthy, I think they'll be, they they won't be like 29th in the
0: league. Yeah, they're a fun pick yeah. next year actually. I kind of hope they lose the next game or two so no one sniffs them out too much, mm. but they'd be a fun pick this summer that if if they make a couple of decent moves. Yep. You know, there's enough there to to think that they could be competitive and frankly, Pacific Division's not that great. No. I mean, yeah. we see
1: what Vegas did there this year. Yeah, you know,
0: I mean? you know, so you know, they have good goaltending all season and you know, their young guys get a little bit older and you know, there's a whole summer and draft to to make more moves and uh, you know that maybe that's a team next year where uh, you know they're they're a surprise team, even though we kind of see it coming. Mm. Um,
1: ooh, here's,
0: a, here's I know that you're.
1: Um, I mean, you're you're a savant with this stuff, and I know that you wrote about Brock Besser's shot earlier in the year and, and sort of just the technical nature of it. Someone asks, you know, what's the hard? What are the top five hardest shots in the league at the moment? And I'm not even that interested in that. I'm more like, what are the five? What are the handful of players that? You know, you look at them and you go, like, man, that guy's shot yeah. is a plus plus weapon. And and you know, I'll give you an example. Obviously, Patrick Laine, I'm sure, will be one yeah. one of your answers here. But like, I strongly believe that goalies are so good in 2018 that if they can square you up and they can see the puck, they're probably going to stop it. Yeah. And last night, Carey Price, who's actually I was having a good game before that, was like completely squared up, and Patrick Laine from way like Ilya Kovalchuk territory yeah. out up near the blue line. Just rips one right by him, and it's like Kerry Price was there, and no one was in front of him. He could see it perfectly, and it just—it didn't matter. Yeah, and there's no, very it, few guys that can pull that off.
0: Yeah, Lina is definitely—he's probably the guy right now. Mm-hmm. Where his shot is special. You know, I just got to mention Ovechkin, so I'm not the jerk because yes. obviously he's still yep. Alex Ovechkin. Um, Besser is uh, is probably one of one of my favorite guys to watch shoot, just because I think he's he has an interesting shot. Um, Phil Kessel has the the most maybe the most unique shot just the way it comes off his stick is unbelievable it's uh, I don't know it's just fascinating to watch and you know we've seen what he does when he's on the fly and uh, and then I guess the guy to me who is sort of newer is is Austin Matthews Mm -hmm. and just I I talked to a shooting coach or a skills coach recently I can't remember who it was exactly but they talked about this different style of shooting today you know it's different than when I shot and they talked about white space between the puck and the stick and how these guys utilize sort of the whip of the stick and it's not it's not a slap shot but it's like a wrist shot that works like a slap shot because of this little gap between the puck and the blade but matthews you know the way he pulls it he can pull it two feet into his into his body and change the angle and whip it and Um, these guys grew up with one-piece sticks. Hmm. You know, I grew up with a a wood stick and a two-piece shaft. And by the time the one-pieces came around, they weren't, you know, they break every time you took a shot. And these kids grew up with them and they know how to, how to utilize them better than anyone did in my generation. So uh, yeah, the goaltenders today, you know, goals are starting to rise a little bit again. I think that's part of it.
1: Yeah. Matthews, Matthews and uh, I'd say Philip Forsberg are the two examples that come to my mind of guys who do the best job of sort of like, I don't know, having an air of unpredictability or or sort of changing the angles. And it's like you sort of just watching these games, you feel like you have a good sense of when a guy is going to release a puck and what looks natural. And then these guys just release it from these like odd angles. That's a really good point. Where they look like they're like off position and off balance, but they, don't necessarily have to sacrifice anything off of the actual velocity or, or, or uh, precision. And that's an amazing skill because that ties to the idea of goalies being set and knowing what to expect. And And just like how
0: smart some of these kids are with their, you know, their puck placement, you know, you think uh, back to Matthews goal, I think it was against maybe Buffalo, but they were on a rush and Nylander uh, pulled up and hit him late. And Matthews came down the slot, dead slot, middle of the ice. Everyone in the rink is thinking he's just going to rip this top corner. On the ice five hole scores. Yep. You know, he's they're just so clever and you know, when you have a deadly shot like that, you can throw the change up and, and score once in a while. Since I know
1: uh, people say we don't talk about the blues enough, Latter's ankle also on this list in terms of Great that. rooster from the right from the right circle. Um, you know, yesterday I was on yesterday's podcast, I was talking with uh with with our buddy CJ about uh, William Carlson and his next contract and sort of this idea of shooting percentage and us having an appreciation now that outliers either super high or super low shooting percentages probably won't continue next season right. and you need to recalibrate your expectations and i wanted to add to that discussion here with you because i'm sort of fascinated by the idea of on the one hand you can just look at the crude shooting percentage and go 25 percent or whatever he's shooting that's not going to continue but i wonder how much of that is sort of the repeatability of actually getting those good looks because as i mentioned like william carlson this year if you watch the where Marcus and Riley Smith are setting him up are pretty ideal scoring yeah. opportunities. It's like, yeah, it makes sense that he's converting a lot of these. These are great. I wonder whether he's going to be able to get those same looks next year as teams game plan game plan for him more. You know, watching a guy like Matthews, it always blows my mind how some of these guys who everyone knows are superstars in the league can still sort of get lost in the action and then all of a sudden pop back up and they're like wide open in this great scoring opportunity and you're like How, like, everyone on the other team knows to watch out for him, and I understand hockey's a free-flowing game with changes and bounces, but it's like, some of these guys are just so good at still finding ways to get open and prime scoring opportunities, even though the other team is completely game-planning for them. And I think that's where, you know, a guy like Carlson, I'm sure if he gets the same scoring chances he did this year, might not... Convert twenty five percent of them, right. but he'll probably be above average. But I just wonder if he's going to be able to get those same chances.
0: Yeah, I've I've always thought that about uh, you know shooting percentage, and you can see a lot of the earlier days of analytics. I, I would sort of bristle at people, um, you know, implying that. You know, guy was on a hot streak because of shooting percentage, or you know, he hasn't scored because of shooting percentage. Well, sometimes the shooting percentage is really high because he's playing really well and he's getting to the dangerous areas of the ice, and um, sometimes it's low because he's playing on the perimeter and he's playing on the outside. I understand over large samples, shooting percentage, uh, like you said, the extreme outliers are obviously going to to regress. But uh, I think you know there are stretches of time where people can influence their shooting shooting percentage by getting to places. And you know, for Carlson, I don't know what he's done the rest of his career in terms of if he's been getting those same looks and if this year is just an, a totally different situation and maybe he's figured something out. But yeah, uh, he is going to be an interesting one. Um, you know, To your previous point, uh, just about guys getting lost, I was thinking in the early days of Alex Ovechkin's career, I remember thinking there's no way he was going to be able to continue to shoot from there. Because yeah. what are we, morons? Like, yeah. <laughs> we know where you're, you're going to shoot from. Yeah. And I guess we're morons. I don't yeah. know, unless it's just no one's willing to just stand there and lay down in front of his stick or something. But uh, well,
1: it's, I mean, especially on the power play, it's, it's kind of impossible. You, 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 know, you see, especially when you have the benefit of...
0: Nick Backstrom.
1: Yeah, a quarterback that. there. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you move over to Ovechkin tj Oshie there in the slot is just has like an easy tap in yeah they will probably convert that pretty high percentage of the
0: time Yeah, as well, and you so. can't just stare at a guy like <laughs> yeah. you know not just ovechkin but any guy who you know talented player gets lost you can't just have your back to the play you know you basically you make it a lot easier on everyone everyone else you need to be aware of where the puck is and yeah it's a lot easier said than done for sure
1: mm. um okay one final thing before we get out of here uh a name that Bring back to our MVP conversation, a name that has been getting some buzz lately has been Claude Giroux. And I want to talk to you about this idea of his bounce back season from the perspective. I think it's so fascinating because, you know, obviously he's healthier this year and he's been a bit more fortunate with the bounces at five on five, but at the same time, just moving from center to wing and sort of the, how that's freed him up, I think a bit to be a more kind of skilled offensive threat. I don't know know what the best way to put it is, but it's pretty clear that playing with Sean Couturier and having Sean Couturier's uh, defensive uh, expertise there to soak up some of that responsibility has been a massive net positive for both the Flyers and for Claude Giroux.
0: Yeah. I think part of that is just in terms of how much energy you put out in the defensive zone. Like Mm -hmm. if you're playing center down low, um, one thing they do in hockey school with kids, or they, they did at the hockey schools I taught at, the Okanagan Hockey School there, um, is they just have kids face each other, and one kid is just going to juke back and forth, and the other guy has to try to mirror. Yes, yep. you know where's he going? Try to try to stay in front of him. And when you're the guy who is making the jukes, it's fun. It's you know you enjoy it and you're trying to goof around, whatever. On the other side of that, it's exhausting because mm. you kind of have to be alert that he could go either way, and you're kind of on your edges, and you never really get settled. So when you're in the D zone. Playing center, that's what you're doing. You're you're mirroring, uh, you know, the offensive player, and it it takes a lot out of you. As a winger, you, you know, you pick a spot on the ice where they tell you to stand, and you just take some deep breaths and just wait. <laughs> so when right. the puck goes the other way, you're raring to go. Meanwhile, the center's like water. I'm done. Yes. So you know, I think. You know, allowing him the opportunity to to be fresh when he moves from the D zone to the O zone, and Couture is so good at getting them out of the D zone because he's such a good defensive mm-hmm. center that they probably spend a lot more time at the other end. And uh, it's definitely it's done wonders for his offensive game. He's always had the skill, but I think he's just in a better situation now.
1: When you're watching tape, like how do you how do you evaluate? Like, what are you looking for from a a forward, whether it's a center or a winger? Like in terms of labeling him as good defensively, as
0: like positioning is it uh yeah for me the the big word would be tenacity Mm -hmm. um you know it's it's really hard to you don't always here's a good i think a decent way to put it is that you don't always have to go your hardest because the bounces don't always go against you Mm -hmm. so sometimes if you kind of let the guy get a bit behind you or the you know you kind of stand up straight for a stack, you know sometimes it's fine nothing happens the the play carries on and whatever but it's the time that it the bounce does go wrong and you're standing up straight and the guy jumps by you or the puck slips through your feet and the guy that you let kind of behind you is now in alone. It's the constantly it's the diligence and this is what Mike Babcock does so well with his guys is he has his thumb on them all the time. That it's all the time. Hmm. And you hear him say in the interviews that, you know, no nights off and you can be a professional, you come to work and it's every night and there's no nights off. And, right. You know, all that sort of sort of stuff. So if you're smart enough to know where to stand, that's the first most important thing to being a good defensive forward. But then it's also just caring enough to be on it and alert and on your toes and not resting in the D zone, waiting for a chance to go play offense. Yeah, and I, and I, and
1: I saw you talking about this with, with uh, Pierre LeBron today on Twitter, but it was about that article that appeared on The Athletic about uh, Mark Edward Vlasic. I can't imagine how much that guy has to move his feet. Sorry, carry on though. Well, the reason why I bring that up is uh, a stat that I've always been very partial to is looking at the penalty data for especially defensemen, great call. Because I understand, you know, if a guy isn't taking a lot of penalties, there's this uh, prevailing idea more old school types would say, you know, oh he's he's soft, he's not being physical enough. But I think like that it's a pretty good proxy honestly for positioning. Because Absolutely. if you're in the right position, chances are you're not needing to hook and trip and do all these sorts of infractions just to keep up. And, you know, there's going to be certain occasions where you just have to take a penalty or sometimes you get your stick caught in a guy's blades and he goes down and it's kind of a freak accident. But for a lot of these guys, like I think like a Chris Tanev type has been always been great at this. Jared Spurgeon, Jacob Slavin now coming into the league and Mark Edward Vlasic this year. I mean, his only two penalties are, are delayed game penalties where he cleared it off the glass. Like, the fact that that guy's playing against the other team's best all the time, generally in his own zone, against and he's typically facing the other team's best forward. Like the fact that he's always in the right place at the right time and isn't, and isn't taking penalties is such a luxury in my.
0: opinion. Yeah, and that's why I said you know he must have to move his feet yeah. so much, is because he has two penalties all season, seventy eight games playing the best competition, a lot of minutes, and they're delay delayed game penalties. So he must always be in the right spot, and that's that takes a lot of energy and uh, commitment to. Mm to even you know you may not need to take those extra couple steps but he gets there Um, on top of that so it reflects positioning to me not taking penalties and also just raw skill yeah because if you're slow sometimes you can be in the right position but a talented player is just faster than you and you got to haul him down um, you know to just to go back to the, the Matt Barzal play where he skated by uh, Yori Letera mm-hmm. the other day Letera is not a good skater right. that, that's an instance to me where it's like he can, I, he the,
1: can be wherever he wants to be Barzal's blowing by doesn't <laughs> matter
0: so that's collateral damage of, right. being, of not having the raw skill you just got to haul Barzal down yep. and just go yeah oh, two minutes I'm not very fast Right. but yeah it, uh, that, that's an incredible stat to me and it really reflects well on Vlad and, and how hard he must work to be in the right spots mm. all right uh let's get out of here plug some stuff
1: what are you uh what are you are you working on anything this week or are you just getting ready for the masters
0: uh, <laughs> the masters are obviously the, the main focus <laughs> but uh yeah i wrote a thing yesterday on uh, on the athletic for uh, about uh, how teams p- uh, prepare for playoffs and, and all the work they go through that's up right now and then, yeah, I've got a, a couple different pieces uh, planned for playoffs here sort of in the interim. Kind of wait to see how the uh, the rest of the season plays out so we know the matchups, mm. but, and then I'll apply to that. But, yeah, definitely check out the stuff on The Athletic and follow me on Twitter at JTBourne.
1: Well, I'm glad. I definitely recommend that, and I'm glad we got to do this finally. It's our first in-person show, and hopefully, uh, hopefully the first of many if I'm here in September. I'm sure <laughs> we'll be doing this on a regular basis.
0: That'd be great, man. Thanks All a lot. Right. Chat soon. The Hockey PDOcast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypdocast.